So I'm reading today from, uh, from if the teaching I would like to do is from Philippians chapter 4, if I may. I want to just talk to you just briefly. I can teach you for a whole hour on the, on the actual blessing and expound the Hebrew for you so you can really grab it the, the more, but I haven't got time today. And verse 12 of the chapter book of, of, uh, of uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned. I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of being content in and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, the man who wrote this, his name was Saul, and he came from Tarsus. Just that you understand that the whole background. This man never met Jesus physically. He wasn't there when the big movement of God was on the, on the go in Israel, in Jerusalem. He was not. But he came from a city just northwest of Israel called Tarsus. It had been a Roman part of the Roman Empire for a while. So when he was born, he was naturally born into, into being Roman. But he was a very avid Jew. His parents were very much pharisaical, and so he learned from a very young age Hebrew and intensely too, and he was very devoted to it. He never got married. He didn't do anything fun that you might imagine. He was devoted to God. So when he came to Jerusalem, it was because he was devoted, trying to stamp out and help the Hebrew faith get rid of this sect, this strange new religion, these Nazarene sect, they were called. And so he was sincere until he left Israel after doing so much damage as it were in, Jer in Jerusalem and the Israel, Israel area. He went north to the synagogues, more north towards Damascus, and there he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Why the Lord chose only then to deal with it, I don't know. God looks at our, where our heart is, and when we're ready to meet with him, it was a very dramatic turnaround for Paul. And then he goes back after some time spending in this, in this area. He goes back to Jerusalem. He has to go back to the people he, was, he came from, Sanhedrin, and tell them that he was wrong. They only angered them all the more, and they wanted to kill him. So the leaders, spiritual leaders of the church in Jerusalem got him out of town quickly. They got him to, took him down to Caesarea, the port, and shipped him back to Tarsus just for his own safety. It was some time that later that one of the reputable leaders, Barnabas, went to the north and went up to this very vibrant happening church called Antioch. The church in Antioch was rich and vibrant because economically the whole city had just, just grown. It was on an estuary of rivers that made trade so fantastic towards the east. So all the Jews would move forward. You know, Jews always go with his money, so they went business-wise. You knew that, didn't you? God made Gentiles because somebody had to pay retail. You know, that's the way it is. <laughs> anyway, so they, they went. So they went north a lot of, and they settled and got a lot of synagogues going. But also because of Christianity, there was such freedom there. There was not the Jewish. It wasn't part of Israel. There was a lot of dominance. No, the Romans were lead, leading it completely, and there was a lot of freedom. And so the church blossomed. In fact, that was the first place they were called Christians, which means to follow Christ. And the church just got so big and so prosperous that Barnabas decided to go and get. Saul or Paul went where he went straight west to to Tarsus, got him and brought back, and they spent a whole year there teaching. In fact, he spent 14 years at that church at Antioch, 
that, that church up there in the north. That's where he was. But Paul himself uh, went on three missionary trips, having been sent. And that's where his whole life ended up in Jerusalem, then shipped up to Rome, where he preached to the Romans, and then he died there. And the Catholic Church uh, boasts often that come from that whole fact that he went there, and from him that he was the beginning of the church, and so on, uh, Paul and such like. Now, what I, what I want to tell you is that this Paul saying now, I've learned the secret. He'd been through so much persecution and difficulties, and he he's, comes from a wealthy family. He's been poor. He had to make tents. He struggled. And we always associate the scripture with materialism. But in my journey, and I'm not a young man anymore, I've learned that every one of us on our journey, and all of us are looking for happiness, even our constitution has a phrase in it that says, the pursuit of happiness. So it seems to be an inbred thing, ingrained in our DNA to looking for happiness. But to, I watch my children and my grandchildren and different people around me looking for happiness in oh so many different ways. And different things make different people happy for different amounts of time. And I got saved when I was 13, and I really fell in love with the Lord. It was a very sincere and deep experience for me. I got born again so severely, so strongly that I did it five Sundays in a row. I had to keep experiencing that, that nostalgia was just overwhelming until they told me, you don't have to keep doing this. But I, I wanted to keep doing it because I loved, liked it so much. It was such a, such a sensation. And in my life's journey, I've enjoyed so much. I've never met a Christian yet that said to me, I wish I'd gotten saved or converted or born again when I was old and first lived my life and had fun. Nobody says that. They always say, I wish I'd done this sooner. Because even if there was no God and no life hereafter, the, the lifestyle and the Christian journey is so much more richer and fun and happier on earth just as it is, as, as a, the standard it is. It's a wonderful journey. But in my, in my life's journey, I've watched people and I've pursue happiness, including myself, and I found that some things make you happy and different things make you unhappy, whether it be your expectancy is not realized, whether you're on your way to work and the, you have a flat tire and it frustrates you, or whether you're in the rain or whether you didn't got fired from the job or whether your husband or wife left you that stole your happiness, whatever happened that seemed to steal your happiness, something else would give you happiness, you'd pursue those things, whether it be wealth, whether it be comfort or relationships. They're different things that feed what we call happiness. But Paul said, I've learned the secret. If it's a secret, that means not many people know about it. And I can honestly tell you that I've learned the secret. It took a crisis in my life some 20 years ago when I had to turn to him severely, there was nothing else. And I learned the secret, and I found something that I cannot keep to myself. It would be most ungodly of me not to share with you the secret that I found, that he does genuinely make you happy, that there's nothing and nobody that can make me happy the way he does. And it sounds so far off if you don't taste it or experience it. You serve the Lord, and you have things that, vary and change your moods, but honestly, I can tell you, there is nothing that satisfies like knowing Him, walking with Him. You don't have anything I could possibly want or need, because I have everything in Him. 
And in your journey, the devil has used your, your own lack of understanding or lack of knowledge or knowing the secret that you pursued things in happiness. Now, we talk about materialism, and it's very hard to be comfortable without the materialism. And I want just to be clear that for you from a Jewish point of view. God never designed you to be lacking. Never was it God's plan to have ever have anything lacking on this planet. The planet was designed with a fullness of it. God has no problem with each one of you being a millionaire. No problem. He doesn't want it to interfere with your relationship because the most important thing to God, that's why he made you, to have a relationship with you. In fact, he had relationship with one Pacific angel that he had raised up and given freedom to out of the billions of angelic beings, and the relationship failed because the pride got into this angel and rejected God and took a third of the angels with him. So God came to, at a different angle and designed a whole new creation, this time for the first time, not just making another creation, he took his own DNA. Because the angelic beings were so different to him, they were so perfect, he made and he wanted to make he wanted somebody to fellowship with, so he took his own DNA and reproduced himself. We are made in God's image. But because we have his spirit, he didn't want us to have the freedom that the angelic beings had before we had built a relationship with him. So he put us in a carbon-made body, this spirit, because you are a spirit living in a body, on a planet that this body needed to sustain itself. And God had no problem with that because all day and all night, Adam and Eve were subject to that conditions. That's why he came once a day in the cycle of that body in the cool of the day, because he just needed a few minutes each day just to fellowship. Now, in the garden, there were two trees that were named. Now, I want to tell you, God has to dumb things down for us because we don't have the intelligence. I mean, really think about it. In the garden, there were two trees. I mean, does that sound like, an, like a, a scientific, intelligent conversation? No, because we can't fathom some of the the things of God. It's just a comical thing when Christians tell me they know what God's doing. The craziest thing, we have here COVID-19 and every body has an idea and a prophetic word about what's happening. Let me put it in perspective and reality for you. Do you, are, you are you listening? I, I told you about how Paul and Barnabas came to the church in Antioch. That that time, you could read it in, in Acts 11, Verse 27, during this time, some prophets came from Jerusalem all the way up to Antioch, and one of them, his name was Agabus. And Agabus prophesied that there would be a severe famine throughout the entire Roman world. Now, that's the whole world they knew. Because to go from Israel to Rome took normally, under good conditions, several weeks. Now we fly in an hour and a half, two hours from Tel Aviv to Rome. I've done it, so I know. It's a short flight. But they, the whole Roman Empire was encompassed the whole Mediterranean area, and they would all have a famine. Now, it may not sound like much to you, but when there's a famine and your kids are starving, there's not much you wouldn't do to help, help them. So crime escalates, and all kinds of things happen during famine. People try to get from the rich and steal from the break-in and all kinds of things. It just never stops. So a severe famine would be really quite radical. And he prophesies this, but there's no other 
information given that he says, and God's judging the Roman Empire, or this is God shaking. Nothing. He just says, there's a famine coming. And in fact, Luke, who's writing that book, who's writing the book, adds there, this happened during the reign of the names that which Caesar was at that time. It was happened in 40 AD and actually happened. But they decided because of the prophecy that, that they would send supplies to the church leaders in Jerusalem. So they had supplies. That's all they did because of with the information. Why I'm telling you this is that severe famine came and went, and there's been calamities throughout the world since then. If it wasn't so, you wouldn't need the blessing to protect you. You wouldn't speak that blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you, cover you, shield you. Why would he just shield you? Because life has all these cycles. I remember my grandmother, when having exiled the Holocaust and her family being so killed and butchered in the Second World War, she was convinced that that Lucifer himself was Hitler. And so many Christians I thought they thought was the end of the world. It was the he was the mark of the beast. And we've had so many things tell us that's the end. I remember when I had my church when I was a pastor years ago, we had this rampage of fire through the church of this book called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. Then he changed it to 91. And that didn't happen either. He made a fortune on his books, I'm sure. And then we had 2000 Y2K, the whole world was going to stop. That didn't happen. We've had blood moons and blue moons and green moons and us, every kind of moon and every conceivable prediction and fear in people's hearts and lives. And, and COVID's just another one of those things that nobody tell you otherwise. It's been blown out of proportion by the world. You, you get gets fed with fear because God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. It's a, it's a reality, as is influenza, as is the volume of people dying in car accidents, as is, so, as is cancer, as is so many things. And you can control it to a point, but if you live in that fear and you watch TV all the time, it's going to feed you with negative. You are what you eat. If you watch that stuff all the time on the media, it's going to create that fear of expectancy in you. And when we bless you, we speak God's blessing on you, you are protected. Even Jesus said, to his disciples, go and preach the gospel. And he said to them, nothing shall harm you. No snake, no poison. You, you put, now, you don't go looking for trouble, but you can expect God's protection. Not if you, but if you're not in the Word, you're not reading the Word, and you're not building, feeding your spirit of the right stuff, but feeding with all the negative, that's what you're going to believe for. Remember, the devil is not greater than Jesus. And he has to have faith to be able to do anything in your life too, because Jesus couldn't do anything in in Nazareth because of the unbelief. So the devil can't do anything to you unless he's got some faith in you. And the way to get faith in you is to let you keep watching CNN or some news place constantly telling you negative because it's the mirror image of faith. It's called fear. That which a man fears will come on him if you keep fearing it. If I could build enough, if you never, if you were living somewhere in a remote area, never heard of COVID, you would have come into town and not picked up a single germ, wouldn't have cared. It's because they keep telling you, keep telling you, keep telling you. They remind you with a thing on their face. They remind you with a distancing. They keep reminding you of fear. This is not the first time we've had disease in this world. Are you, are you crazy? We've had it so many times. Why is it called COVID-19 and not COVID-12? It's not the first time we've had this, but they've pushed this thing really hard. Now, we do have 
all kinds of political agenda, and there is something going on in darkness, but it's not our job to be involved in that stuff. Our job is to preach the gospel and let, let the whole world know who our Lord is. So we don't ignore, but we don't focus on these things, but we must set a standard and an example. Now, Paul says, I've learned the secret to contentment. It's not just in provision, it's in every circumstances. The secret was he was attached, dependent, and completely in love with the Lord. He found it. It didn't come naturally. He didn't learn, this, didn't learn the secret as a young person. It took life. It took constant searching for the Lord. He was a very normal person frustrated person yet struggles man that same man writes wretched man that i am the things that i ought not to do these i keep doing who will rescue me who will rescue me and god said his grace is enough for you his grace his he's considering of our insignificant how lowly we are even paying attention to us in our insignificance, that grace, undeserved favor, is more than enough for us. With all the struggles he had too, he was had so many things going on in his life, normal person like you and I, and yet he, had, he found a, a secret to contentment. He found contentment. He, he was talking about music in the, in the context of money because they were supporters of him, uh, this church, and so uh, they were good supporters, as were the Thessalonians, they were good supporters too. But he was telling them, I've learned both. I'm not, don't need, money's not going to make me happy or unhappy. The relationship's not going to make me happy or unhappy. God designed us to love him with all of our hearts, all of our souls. We are in, in, full of God's love when we're born. We have a seed of God, Romans says. Where each one has the seed of faith. And we already have that. And we belong to God. And we're supposed to love him with all of our hearts and be completely devoted to him. And then from that abundance of his love towards us, we're able to love our husbands, our wives, our children. We don't love them because we need them. If we do, we don't, you can, you can never love a person you need. It's not possible. First Corinthians 13 says, love is patient and kind and seeks not its own. So if you need someone and you can't live without them, you don't really love them. And the devil can torment you with it. But if your need is in him and he loves you and you love him, then you love someone as an abundance of that. And God is the source and he is, the, he is love. He's the source of all love. So when someone is expressing love to you, what, however measure, whatever person that is, it's all, if it's real love, it's coming from him. He's the source. And you can enjoy it and receive it, but your expectancy and your hope mustn't be in them. It's got to be in him. Because if you lose that source of love, if your husband or wife leaves you or they die, God raised up another way to bring you his love because he's the source of it. If you don't think you've had this big loss of, of love and affection because your hope is in him, your expectancy is in him. That's what this man, Paul, said, I've learned the secret to contentment. And that's where he found it. I cannot leave and I hope many of you will grasp what I'm trying to teach you this morning because it should and must change your life. You should be happy and content all the time, regardless of the circumstances, whether you bound or you have base, whether you're less or more, whether you're in COVID or not COVID, whether you've got difficulties, whether you've got health challenges, whatever goes on in your life, it should not affect your contentment. Your contentment's in Him. 
When Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, we've often thought that was a warning or a threat, but really it's a promise. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Let me explain to you, and I hope I can get this through to you, uh, because Goya don't always get this. Goya are not Jews, just that you know. So here's what happens. God set in motion the law, gave us parameters to live by. That's how you measured your spirituality and how accurate a spiritual person you were. So Jesus comes along and he says, I've not come to abolish or take away the law, but to fulfill it. And so many of my Goya friends just don't grasp what that means. They, they hear it in their head, but it got brushed right over. They don't understand. God didn't take away any of the laws. They're still in motion. In fact, Matthew 13, Jesus says, a teacher of the law who, who embraces the kingdom that, he, that Jesus teaches is like a rich man who goes to his storehouse and takes out the old and new treasures. Doesn't get one or the other. Now, what it means to fulfill the law is this is how it works. Jesus said, for example, if you do to others as you'd have them do to you, you fulfill the whole law. Now, think about that. Everything that is offensive or that injures people or is actually forbidden in the law, it actually hurts someone. So if you adopt the principles that Jesus taught in his kingdom, you won't have to look what the law is. It will naturally be fulfilled just by following him. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, it's the most natural thing to do that. If you're struggling to keep his commandments, it simply means you're not in harmony or in love or in close contact. You become detached. That's why he said, see, he said, you must remain in me that you can bear fruit. You can't bear fruit without me. You need him and the most important relationship of your life is with him. And if once you taste a relationship with him, not just a prayer and a Bible scripture, but actual relationship, you will never be satisfied with anything less than that because it's the most fulfilling, the most delightful, the most enjoyable, the most dependable. Nobody can compare to when you start walking with him in such a way. It's, it's the most adventurous, exciting journey of your life. That's the truth. There's no one like him. Islam calls us infidels. They persecute and behead Christians and Jews. They do not persecute Muslims, I mean, um, uh, Buddhists or Hare Krishnas. They don't persecute any other religion in the world. Only Christians, Christians, right, and Jews. Because we're infidels. That by the virtue of the fact that they oppose us, by the virtue of the fact that Hollywood uses the cuss word Jesus and not any other word like Hare Krishna or, yeah, or for Buddha's sake. Why? Because they're proving to me there is no other name that was worthy, uh, worthy of being a cuss word even. Uh, the, every theme in the industry has got to always reflect our word. It's the Armageddon movie or it's Lucifer series or it's always got to be from our Bible. Can't they use some Buddha or Hare Krishna theme? Why do they keep using us? Because there is nothing else. Their reaction to us, there is nowhere else. There's nothing. So I'm, I'm asking you this morning as my family to get your mind off yourself 
and all your circumstances and get your eyes on Him and start learning about Him. And you will find, you will start in that journey of contentment that no matter what happens around you, what relationship struggles you have or what circumstantial struggles you have, they will seem absolutely insignificant because you will always go through some challenge. That's what Jesus said. He said, in this world, you will have many troubles. But I said this, that you will not be concerned because I've overcome the world. The world is not a threat to you. The enemy that's come to steal from you wants you to focus. And lack of understanding makes you focus on these things and let them become the determination of your joy. When in fact, that when you, get, when you taste and see the Lord is good. And I was saved for a long time preaching the gospel. It took a crisis for me to drive myself to go find him and discover how amazing he really is and how close he wants to be and how really involved in your life he is. He's waiting for you. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. I've been trying to encourage your pastor to have my, what, my top spiritual son. I have many spiritual sons, but my top spiritual son is from South Africa. His name is Andre, and uh, he's now 37, has a wife and two children, but uh, he's been with us for about six, seven years. But he has a very, a very strong prophetic, very accurate prophetic word. But more than that, he has a message that I absolutely makes me cry every time I hear it. Uh, he was 17 when he asked the Lord he wanted a close relationship with him. And so the Lord said, okay, well, what do you, what do you like to do? And he said, to go to the movies, and I like to go out to dinner. Well, let's you and I go. And so he'll tell you in detail if he ever comes here, which I hope he will, of how he goes to the movies with Jesus on a Monday morning when it's just him and, and the Lord in the theater and how he, the Lord makes him buy a ticket and makes him buy popcorn and makes him buy soda. And I could tell you, I could tell you the, some of the stories that I've heard that he's even to this day, he's married with kids, and he still does it once a week. He goes alone with the Lord. He goes out to eat. He'll hide back in the corner of a restaurant because he's, he'll order off the menu. He'll ask the Lord what he wants. He'll have a discussion with the Lord. And a year or two ago, one of the most fancy restaurants in Pretoria in South Africa, this man came in restless and looked like he was drunk, and he was pacing up and down. And he said, what's going on? And he saw the two plates, and he kept on pestering the man. And he, and he sat him down, and he started talking to him, and he, he could feel, he could feel the presence of God. In fact, so often in the restaurants, the whole atmosphere changes when he starts to visit with the Lord. And this particular man was sent from Angola as he's a hitman for as a career. And he had come there to assassinate someone, and he got saved and filled the Holy Ghost right there. And, and the testimony is remarkable. And that's just one. That's just one. There's so many things that spilled over from his relationship with the Lord, but he still does that together and intimacy in the most simplest way, and the things, the reality of how it works. For example, Andre says, well, I came home from the movies, and I'd go home, and I'd put the TV on, and the Lord says, so, Andre, what are we watching? And I say, oh, no, you, you can't watch this, Lord. You change the channel. That tells you a whole story by itself. Just, and that's the kind of thing he'll tell you, of the intimacy, the reality of walking with the Lord and his, with, his, with his children and with his wife and things he walks and how the Lord corrects him and tells, speaks to him. So many, so, so simple, so beautiful, it will stir it up in your own heart. There's nothing more important in your life than intimacy with the Lord. Put aside your disappointment of your husband, your wife, your children. They can't give you what you're looking for. No matter how hard they try even, they can't give you. Only the Lord can give it to you. And then you don't need them to love you. You love them because you're so filled with His love. You don't need that. You only need Him. And He never changes. His love is not conditional. It's not comes and goes and changes with the mood or the season. He's so consistent. 
and it's so rich and satisfying and fulfilling. And he hears you. you when you when I call my family, sometimes I just don't take my call. When I call the Lord, he takes me on the first ring. The first ring is never too busy for me. Takes the first ring, I can get hold of him anytime I want. He's always accessible. Are you hearing me? He cares about you so intimately. If you've messed up and made some mistakes, he doesn't care. He cares only for you. He cares about you, who you are. He paid the price to redeem you. He had to send his only son because it was the only way to make it easy for you to come to him. There was no other way. That's why Jesus came. And all of that is for you and me. You're not sitting here or at home watching this today by accident. Each one of you are handpicked by the Lord. You may have thought you came to the Lord because you had nothing else, but he actually chose you. He chose you because you're so special and so wonderful.